Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week, it's episode 38. On this week's broadcast, we have the nine-time World Xterra Triathlon champion, Cal Zariski. Now, Cal is also a professional active lifestyle coach, uh, lives in Calgary, Alberta, you know, not too far from me, a uh, good friend of mine, and he's also the Canadian record holder at the World Attilo, I think I'm saying that right, the Swim Run Championships. And more can be found out about Cal uh, at www.criticalspeedandhiscoaching.com. So, Cal, welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave and Joe. I appreciate being here. Yeah, it's a real good thing to have you on board. Um, so maybe we'll start, Cal, by, you know, sort of thinking about the fact that that kind of accomplishment isn't something we dream up when we're a kid, right? You know, how could you win that many world championships and do that throughout one's life? But um, maybe what you could do for us is give us a little bit of that context that says, hey, you know, here's here's what I did when I was a kid, you know, I used to ride my bike in the backyard or run around, but, you know, give us a little bit of the background, how it built up and then how that sort of one day you realized that you had a lot of capability and you were going to be able to, you know, you do it in this way. Yeah. You know, I was fortunate to grow up in um, Penticton, BC, the interior there of the Okanagan. So that environment just bred pretty much endurance sport. And, I believe that valley was where the origination of uh, triathlon began. I believe it was Salmon Arm or maybe it was Kelowna or whatever it may be. So growing up, I saw this sport evolving and I was a soccer player. I couldn't sw swim to save my life, to be honest. And so, but we had so much fresh water nearby that we obviously would go to the beach and do a little swim out to the buoys and back sort of thing. But you know, triathlon fell upon me and I really thought it was an interesting thing. And, you know, I, as I grew up, I just evolved into endurance sport. You know, the old days of the participation ones where you got the bronze, the silver and the gold sort of badges and the award of excellence and sort of, I was dabbling with that. And I realized that I was actually a decent little runner. So I just continually flowed down that avenue. And as I said, I fell into triathlon in the Okanagan and uh, carried on through my high school years and sort of just, and getting just enjoyed, enjoyed that sort of lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So Cal, I mean, you know, you, that, that being said, you know, you grew up playing soccer. Um, you know, you were, of course, you know, anybody in Canada knows that the, that the Penticton area is just a, a hotbed for, for endurance sport. And I mean, it's the perfect climate. You've got beautiful lakes around, great uh, mountains to, to climb uh, on, on a bike and, and, and great, great trails to run. But, um, you know, earlier on, I mean, when it comes to your father, when it comes to your mother, aunts and uncles, um, you know, the coaches in, in soccer or, or phys ed, who were, who were your uh, inspirations? Who, who kind of, who, who brought up the kind of the active lifestyle and, and the kind of go get it attitude that we see now? Yeah, I, I think my dad's history, he was a worker, obviously, but I mean, I, he had the genetic ability that I sort of a, 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 a inherited, so to speak. Um, you know, I was just a hyperactive kid, and I just found that I fell into it. As I said, I, I just kind of was good at it, and anytime I was good at something, I obviously made lots of friends, and you just kind of evolve into that sort of thing, and as, as I said, I love the soccer aspect, but you know, when you look at a team performance, 
there's other variables for, for achieving high, high level of performance. And so I sort of moved into more of an individual thing where I took responsibility for my own performance and that would be preparation, all this. And I think the big switch happened in the Okanagan cross country running championships. I was just this kid in high school and I thought, you know, I've got a shot at doing well at this. And I was this, this high school kid that every morning, Dave, you'll relate to this. I would get out of bed and I would go and run, say, eight kilometers through the Okanagan vineyards and picking apples while I was doing this. But I recall I would run home and I would always see my principal of my school driving to work and I'd wave to him. And it was quite, quite an epiphany about, you know, if I do the work, then I certainly can achieve what I wanted to in the race. And, and I did the work and none of my friends wanted to join me. It was an interesting phenomenon. I was just realizing I'm a unique person. And I went to the Okanagan Valleys and I actually won. So there was just that one little sort of trigger that said, you know, you can be good at something if you actually dig in and do the work. And so from that point, I really didn't have a role model. I just kind of figured it out myself. Mm. And then that was the big, I guess, life lesson is just do the work, prepare, get into a competition, and then you never know what the outcome would be. And I just found it was very successful. Yeah, you know, that's a, a point that I think we hear often, mm-hmm. which we like to say we have these trite things over time, you know, but you don't need permission to live the life you want to live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really up to us to choose and you, something triggers us typically, it could be ourselves, could be someone else that triggers us. But but I think that that awakening is the power moment in our lives, which we're hoping our listeners as well, sort of, if they haven't found it, realize that it's there for them to take. And I'm sure as a coach, you're always sort of trying to sort of awaken us to that. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has some unique ability. Everyone has it. And it, it may not be in sort of an athletic environment. It could be in anything. But, you know, we are talking about people here are chasing dreams and, often it it involves something that's physical that has a mental component whatever it may be and i i have lots of satisfaction and a lot of i guess respect for people that uh, commit to involving themselves into that and going into something that's scary that's that's a big goal a life lesson so to speak in the end and because that's living life like you said so yeah, I found that out. And then, you know, I never really stick to one sport. I kind of move around a little bit. I like to try different things. And, um, you know, it's been quite a journey up to this point at, at the age of 53. It's been an amazing journey so far. Yeah. And at the age of 53, Cal, you know, and I, I can speak, you know, a little bit more, um, uh, you know, uh, personally, you know, yeah, personally with you, because we're, we're, we're friends as well too. At 53, you're not slowing down. Um, you know, every year you're, you're finding ways of, of finding that little inch and that little, little millimeter here and there to, to you know, to drive your performance, um, you know, and then of course, you know, winning the world championships, you know, every year. And so, you know, is that, is that maybe in part because of your, your passion for um, the process, you know, that you end up learning earlier on where you said, okay, with all this hard work with, you know, finding these little, little millimeters, little inches here and there, this is maybe where I can still drive my performance. Is, is it, is it mostly process driven? Yeah, it is. It's process driven for sure. It's consistency, it's lifestyle. It's, it's, it's the thrill of looking at every specific detail for my personal Olympics. And as you mentioned, you're right. The Xterra for me is, is the sport that really resonates with myself. 
um, not many so-called swimmers can mountain bike. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it was a perfect fit for me. And so there's yeah, my unique ability is to perform at that sort of level. It's, it's a combination of an endurance. It's a combination of aerobic power and grit mm -hmm. and mental toughness. And you got to have a lot of courage to be able to, uh, you know, stand on the start line of 16 foot shore break in the ocean on Maui and, and really get at it. And so yeah. I think that just thrills me and drives me to stay in that sort of circle of performance in the off road side. But as you know, Dave, like, I mean, we went for that one run when you were preparing or when you were running across Canada and I said to you, this is the longest run I've ever done at 65 kilometers. And it was just very enlightening to sort of go into a world that was different for me. Mm -hmm. And of course, as I mentioned to you on that run, I said, look, I am scared to death to go to Sweden and do this. Utle. That's how they pronounce it. We say Attilo, mm -hmm. um, you know, where we're swimming in the uh, open Baltic Sea and, you know, basically island, island hopping 26 islands. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. But I mean, just having that courage uh, to do something like that is just really cool. But it, it still comes back to the foundation is that I've always been inspired to do well in multi-sport. But beyond that, I can reach out to all these different cool life adventures for sure. Yeah, so let's let's pull that back a little bit, Cal, because what, what I want to give is I want to give the audience a bit of context because you're doing really cool things that are a little bit off the grid as well, too. Like, you know, I know what Xterra is. I think that the majority of our listeners do. But for those who don't, you know, explain really what an Xterra is. Yeah, Xterra is still a triathlon. It's swimming, it's biking and running. However, uh, the swim is sort of the same. It could be in an open body water, uh, it could be a lake, it could be the ocean, a reservoir, whatever it may be. But the bike is, is a mountain bike. And so again, it has a little bit different uh, feel than obviously the road side of things. So a lot more technical ability. You've got to really practice that. It's a more aerobic power, meaning you're redlining a little bit more and then you're recovering. That's a different flow than the normal road triathlon. And then, of course, coming off the bike, you have to get into a trail run situation. And so there's tons of vertical gain, uh, technical running, descending, that sort of thing. So it, to me, it's just more exciting. It's more emotional than so-called the uh, road triathlon. And so, as I said, I've done 14 world championships. And, and as you mentioned, I've won nine world titles. And so I'm actually one title away from the world most. So I'm very passionate to stay healthy. That's the number one goal mm -hmm. because I believe my performance should be adequate to be able to, you know, if I can get to the start line healthy, I got a shot. And if I can get one more and then of course, obviously beyond that would break the record. And that would be my lifelong goal at this point in time, just from an achievement standpoint. But uh, yeah, so that's Xterra uh, multi-sport. That's amazing. You know, maybe we could spend a couple minutes on this performance as we get older kind of topic for yes. a few minutes. Let me yeah. set a little context. You know, when you're a kid, you might think, and maybe it's changed, but you know, somebody 50 years old is old, right? When you're 20, it's like, oh my God, mm -hmm. that's ridiculous. And then, you know, if you end up getting there, if you're blessed enough to live that long and even longer, you realize <laughs> that if you've made sort of a life of discipline around the pursuit of staying fit and performing that, you know, it's, you don't find, yeah, maybe you don't have the top end speed to run the hundred yard dash in the Olympics, but, but most other sports, you can still be very competitive. If not like, you know, 
in the regular Ironman triathlon stuff, you know, even the 60 year old group is really still very competitive. It's not like you age up and it got easier, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe when you get to 80, if you survive that long, but, but do you have any, cause you're a coach as well. So you work with a whole variety of people yourself, you're moving along and your performance is staying at that level. Have we made a shift of 10 or 20 years in sort of what we're expectations are in terms of being performant at an older age, or are we just better at it? Or have you thought about like, what is making that happen that 30, 40, 50, you're still continuing to be able to compete if so you choose? Yeah, that's a great question. And I just think, you know, over the, the decades, uh, if people get involved in endurance sport at 30, they've stayed consistent through 30s and 40s and 50s and now 60s, for instance. And so within that process, I think people figure out how to stay healthy and well. Um, they're motivated to stay in that state and um, they enjoy competing. Not everybody likes to compete. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I know lots of people that are in their 50s that don't compete and they're extremely fit and healthy. But I, I just think there are so many role models out there that are in those older age categories. And that includes myself, yeah. um, where we're, we're constantly inspiring everyone to stay at it. You know, there's no such thing as saying I'm too old for that. I just there's no reason for me to do that anymore. I'm at this next stage of my life. And I don't think that's necessarily what we believe anymore. We just keep going at it. And. The beauty about, say, triathlons is that there are age groups. And so we all actually look forward to aging up. It's like, oh, I can't wait till I'm 55. Mm-hmm. Well, who says that? Nobody. I've got another shot at competing or standing on the podium or qualifying for the big island Kona Hawaii Ironman. You know, we get inspired about that. So it's this, this age notion is thrown out the window. It's like, all right, everyone's in the same boat, age-related, five-year age groups. Let's go at this. Let's figure out who is the strongest, fittest athlete on the planet in that age category. So I just, in general, I think that really inspires us. And then along the process, of course, as you mentioned, you know, aging up 40s to 50s and 60s, there are different parameters, physiological, structural issues, and all those sort of things where you have to somewhat adapt your training for sure. And, and that's what I'm really related or, or interested in as I go through this journey is how has my training evolved over these decades? And, and it certainly has changed for sure. But I think, as you all know, the consistency in staying healthy is the number one key principle here for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And when it comes to the physiological aspects of, of endurance sport, there's no question that, you know, um, you know, it, it is it it is advantage, advantageous to be 30 years old, 35 years old. But yet, Cal, consistently, I end up seeing 40, 45, 50, 55 year olds doing exceptionally well. And, you know, we talked about the physiological components, but there's also some mental structural components where, you know, I've always felt that it takes probably about seven to eight years to build a strong ultra marathon running base. Yeah. And I, I, I don't have anything to kind of put that to, but yet I, I see it all the time where you see people, you know, within two or three years of, of entering their sport, you just see that there's not a, a strong enough base there. And it comes on almost within a decade, which is ridiculous to stick to something that long, which is wonderful. And I think that's all three of us on the call. This is, you know, this is our, this is our bread and butter, but you know, what do you think about the whole gritty piece of it? the mental piece that we have a really hard time wrapping ourselves around and that, you know, 
maybe it's something that we have as, a, as an advantage in our 40s and 50s and, and maybe even 60s, uh, where the 20s and 30 year olds just really haven't had enough um, life experience or training or, 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 um, or competing experience to be able to, to hold on to. What do you think about the gritty piece? Yeah, absolutely. Huge component, massive component, especially as we do get older. And like you said, the development takes decades. Yeah. And so within that piece, you know, the, the mental toughness and, and the purpose behind it. Sometimes as we get into these older age categories, in life in general, we're in a different spot. You know, we are in a place where we can be uh, very grateful for where we are at. We have reasoning to maybe push that extra lap, for instance, in, in a race or go that extra hour. Um, there, there's a deeper reason and purpose behind it typically. And you're right. I just think that, that that many more years existing as life in general is that you are having, I guess that mental toughness is developed basically. And you're right. I, I, I'm scared when I'm on the start line with someone in an endurance event of that nature that you do. And they have uh, another, say, five years or 10 years on me. They're solid. They're strong. They get it. They get the pacing. They get the strategy. Mm -hmm. um, but the mental toughness for sure is there. It's developed over decades. And mm -hmm. I agree with you. And yeah, an ultra marathoner, you're right. I mean, it would take a minimum of five years, even if they come from an endurance background, to get decent at it. And then another five years, potentially, to be on the podium or doing well. You know, And mm -hmm. so the mental toughness is massive for sure. Yeah. One of the one of the elements that I think I've sort of tried to master myself and get your thought on this is that the idea of having some patience, which sort of connects to this point, which mm -hmm. might just take some time, you know, and that the incremental improvement sometimes isn't so visible. And you have to sort of almost fall in love with that, not just the process, but the pain or the suffering, whatever word, probably the suffering a little better. But like I have for many, many years, I've done this push-up challenge to a song um, by Moby called Flower. It's called the Sally Challenge. And you have to do this three minute, 26 second push-up thing, which, you know, will make grown people cry because it's like, wow, that's really hard. Yeah. And you work on it and you'll get two seconds better a week. And you just, but if you stick to it, you will one day get your, your muscles will build to that resistance needed to get through it. Now it never feels easy, by the way, it's like, right. but, but I've learned as I've sort of gotten older, it was to sort of look forward to how much it's going to hurt in like saying that's a bit of a privilege, right? It's like, I have the ability mm -hmm. to do that. Why should I, I should be not afraid as much as embrace it and say, yeah, so it's going to hurt three minutes and 26 seconds. I think I can survive that long. And I think that that attitude is something that, you know, in sort of a little bit pejorative sense, the couch society doesn't understand, but you get mm -hmm. so much back when you do that, right? And when, so when you're coaching someone to try to break through into that understanding, what do you, do you have some techniques that you try and help people get to that place? Yeah, that it's, it's a really good point. And a lot of it is experiential learning, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. like you, you, you realize that you're capable of going into that world of discomfort. And I've actually turned to some athletes and it's a very simple statement, but you know, it's like, you're not going to die out there. You know, right. if, if you get into the world of hurt, there is that sort of 
volume of hurt. You know, there's, there's a little bit, but then there's people that can go into the world of complete hurt and, and almost on the edge of, I need to stop or I need to take mm -hmm. a break or whatever it may be. And a lot of people actually develop the, the pride of being able to go there or even their identity is that they, mm -hmm. they learn that that is my identity. That I love going there. Lance Armstrong always said that. He says he really embraces the notion of how much discomfort he can actually embrace. Yeah. Yeah. And then he took pride of being able to go beyond what most athletes could do. You know, that, that just wasn't something I think that was learned. I think that was just innate. Like he was capable of going there. And mm -hmm. once you find out that unique ability, you can excel in pretty much anything. Now yeah. to teach that, I still think it's just a matter of, of lining up particular life adventures or racing so that they learn that that that, mm -hmm. that that there's no major life threatening complications that can happen it's just embrace it go in there and experience it and fatigue or or that discomfort can come from intensity that would be more like the xterra project or that long sustained hours and achiness and that just can you keep going and that's again like you said dave is Maybe there's a bit more of a mental component on that side of things, but you know, it's experiential learning. And then I find some athletes, especially the women athletes, the, the female athletes, they're able to kind of click into that mode quite, quite easily. Actually, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. They realize, you know what? I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can go out there and actually put myself through the ringer and they embrace it and they're tough. They are mm -hmm. so tough but they learned it themselves almost yeah. just a little nudging yeah. by the coach, you know, just, you can do this. You just have to, you know, here's the strategies and this is what you got to do. Yeah. And, and Joe, what, what's your, what's your line again about curiosity and courage? What, what yeah, is that again? Magic. The intersection of curiosity and courage is where magic happens. Beautiful. Yeah. And that's just exactly it. And we, when we were talking to Courtney DeWalter on the, on, on this call and, you know, it was just exactly that. Everything that she was saying kind of led back to, to that. And she was just so courageous and so curious. Yeah. And that's what makes her the world's best multi-day female, well, maybe not female runner, just runner in the world. But, you know, Cal, you know, getting back to, you know, I want to talk to you about one of your athletes, and I hope I'm not crossing the line here with, with Myron Tetro. But, mm. you know, we're seeing like an evolution of, of, of athletes. And you see them transitioning from doing, you know, shorter distance triathlon work and then marathoning. And so Myron is a good friend of mine and, and, uh, and an athlete of yours. And, you know, he's, he's attempting a 24 hour race this year. And, and yeah. so, but how, you know, Myron, I think is, he's over 50 now. Yep. And, you know, I, I, you, you see this transition of, 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 of his desires and wishes and what he wants to do with his, with his racing. But ultimately I kind of see this as like a transition in, in life and where he's, you know, pulling it back. And, and, and I went for a run with him the other day and we were talking about running at a six minutes per kilometer pace. And he's, he's, he's really fast. And he's, yeah. he's like, Ooh, okay, that's really painfully slow. But I said, if you average a six minutes per kilometer pace, you're going to be coming through at 240 kilometers in a 24 hour race. And that's a big boy number. Yeah. And so, but you know, there, there's this transition that's happening, but I almost notice it's more of a life transition. Maybe talk to us a little bit more about, you know, your athletes and what you're noticing, maybe even during the pandemic and, 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 and where they are kind of with their, with their training, with their racing, with their execution of which, um, you know, guys like Myron, we're seeing him and others kind of creating almost the step shift during this pandemic. Yeah. And, and how are you guiding your athletes through this time? 
Yeah, obviously some of us, most of us were inspired by racing, you know, and that's against not just yourself, but others, of course. Mm -hmm. and, and with this pandemic, that's not happening. And so, you know, we needed to find um, some sort of uh, adventure that can replace that, that we're all looking for that. There's no doubt. And so, like you said, if you go through life and you get to a point where your career is established, your kids are grown up and all those sort of things, that energy and that desire, ambition gets reallocated. And in Myron's case, he's got big goals and I've seen him do these goals. And he's just, like you said, he's at that point in his life where he's trying to discover something new. Mm -hmm. It could be a new event, like when we went to Sweden or like you said, going around a track for 24 hours, that's a new thing, um, testing his boundaries. And so I think we're all in that same boat. And so last year for my group of athletes here in Calgary and Alberta, I created uh, particular adventures and they were mostly endurance based. They're not like trying to run a fast 10 K or five K. We, we just found that there was a, not a lot of connection there, at least within my group. So we, we actually set out to try to swim by the end of the summer, 10,000 meters uh, mm -hmm. for some of us. And that was a huge goal for a lot of people. Um, the other project is that we cycled from Jasper to Banff, which for most people, that's 300 kilometers in one day. Mm -hmm. So we actually set that out as a project and basically we, we trained for it for two months and there was at least 15 of us that did that. Non-competitive like, but just embracing with other people. And I think yeah. that was just a huge bonding experience. And the lastly, we ran um, the Rockwall Trail, 60, mm -hmm. uh, 65 kilometers. And so it was an epic journey. There was about 15 of us. And same idea is just, you know, if there was no racing, we needed to create something that mm -hmm. gave that opportunity to test ourselves. Mm -hmm. And like, like we were saying, Joe, is the process of developing that fitness, that mental toughness along the way. And lo and behold, goodness, the summer was over. You know, we had three big, big projects. We achieved all of them. And then we sort of sat back and said, you know what, despite the fact that we didn't race, we did a hell of a lot this summer. Yeah. And so we were able to step back now and say, well, you know what, if this pandemic and this restrictions goes another year, all right, what are we going to do? This is, this is an opportunity where we don't have to be grinding away on the race training program where we've was like, what do you want to do this year? Where do we want to cycle to? What do we want to do? Or do we want to set up a swim run race? Like I'd like to actually, put together a swim run race in the Banff area just for my athletes, just to try it, to explore, you know, what that sport's all about. And, you know, that, that's pretty much where we're at, but we do evolve as we go through this pandemic for sure. Mm -hmm. Great. It's just another example. You just keep building the case here around, you know, this is really up to us, right? We, we can make our lives as extraordinary as we want them. And I don't think you mentioned, and it doesn't matter, how fast anyone did any of those, right? This isn't about that, right? It's about that process, about that experience. I'm sure that everyone who went through that learned an extraordinary amount of themselves, you know, what they were capable of. And so imagine when you're done that, like how you think about the future, you're like, wow, I'm somewhat almost invincible. Like I, we, we need to find ways, even in tough times to just continue on the path of building that self-confidence and resilience and ability because you know it does carry outside of just the athletics right i mean it makes you a stronger person in family life in work 
Now, I always like to say, you know, that a strong body carries a strong mind and a strong soul. Because when the body is weak, it sort of doesn't, it's not resilient as a system. And so you, you can't just sit in front of a computer and type all day. That isn't enough. This system is made to be used. And when it's used, it works, you know, and it works better, right? Like, actually, I, I tend to do things pretty much every day. And I know the active recovery model. But if I take days, too many days off, I would be sore. But if I do it every day, I'm not. That tells me the system is working. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that you're onto something there and those kinds of challenges are fantastic. Um, yeah, so as it relates to your racing and training, um, has it evolved, you know, in terms of now going for number 10? Um, do you have a different training approach? You know, how do you look at the competitive environment? You know, of course you have an advantage having been experienced, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who sort of have your number, so to speak. What's your plan to get number 10? Yeah, as I said to you earlier, is just staying healthy. You know, as I get in my 50, there's more, there's definitely more aches and pains. Um, Just even just day-to-day life, sitting in front of a computer more often. uh, Sitting is terrible for us. We know that. So you just have to be very, very smart and strategic about this process of staying healthy. Um, When I look at, I've got like 30 years almost of training data as to what I've done over the years. And if I were to actually, you know, systematically analyze that, there's no doubt that my training volume at higher intensities is reduced. Mm-hmm. So in the past, I might go out and do a workout that's 10 by one mile repeats running, for instance. Well, I would only maybe do 10 by a thousand meters kilometers. Now yep. I don't necessarily need to be into that building of that foundation, the athletic foundation yeah. anymore. Um, I've got enough of that so-called cellularly and, and mentally in my body. It's just about execution now. And then also just doing um, the little bits that gives me that extra five, maybe 10% of my performance from a baseline of staying active. Mm-hmm. And my activity is, you know, I'm averaging roughly two hours of exercise a day. Yeah. And that's been over the last three years. And so um most of it is low intensity, but strategically it's still there. It's not as if I've lost any fitness. And so now I'm just refining things. I do what I know I need to do that's specific to Xterra. It's way different than Ironman so-called triathlon. It's very specific. And it's really actually, it's, it's bizarre that actually I know lots of people that training for Xterra and in, in my opinion, they're not quite doing it right. They're not really understanding the sport. It's not about Mm -hmm. how fast you can run 800 meters on the track. It's more about doing vertical gain and power and mental toughness and Mm -hmm. certain parameters that, in my opinion, I sort of think I've got it nailed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's where I just kind of pull out all those little secrets. And I do the last, say, it's the last six to eight weeks that really count, you know, as we move into a specific sport that's around three hours in duration. Um, and it's just, it's just a lot of muscle memory. And, and, and then again, mental toughness and, you know, real quick story. Like it was two years ago, I was like, came off the bike and I was somewhere around four or three, four minutes behind someone. And, uh, a bystander said, Hey, you know, go get him. You know, you're a couple minutes, three minutes behind he's in red. And I tore off on the run and I was running as hard as I could thinking I've got a chance. I've got a chance. And I'm looking for this gentleman in red, not 
can't see him. And, you know, I'm four miles into this run. I got two miles to go. Still don't see this guy in red. I'm absolutely just burying myself. I crossed the line. I thought, well, second place isn't too bad. Well, he was wearing blue. <laughs> I, passed him a mile. I passed him a mile into the run, but the grit and the want and the desire in the end, when I looked at my runtime, I had the 20th fastest run in the world, including, yeah. including the pro field at the age of 51. And, mm. you know, there's training there, but going back to you, Dave, there's the mental toughness and the grit that you, it's hard to teach that. Mm -hmm. And you really need to feel like you want it. And, and that's in that case, I really, really wanted to catch this person and hopefully win my ninth title. And so, you know, that, that you know, that's Xterra for your off-road triathlon or anything that's sort of shorter duration wise. Well, yeah, I mean, Cal, I've got a, a similar story to, uh, you know, just to, to jump in there as well, too. I was at the World 24-Hour Championships in Torino, Italy, and, and there was a power outage in the middle of the night. Hmm. And, you know, it was, I don't know, like, you know, 16 hours in, and it was overnight, and, and everybody was putting on headlamps, and this was running around a two-kilometer looped course in, in downtown Torino, Italy. And, and so, for whatever reason, I, 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 I thought, I'm going to not take a headlamp but I'm going to be running in the dark and I'm going to be passing people and they won't know that I'm passing them. <laughs> and, you know, I used that. And I thought, you know, this is so smart. I'm, and I, I, I booked it and I kept thinking, you know, whenever this, you know, the light comes back on, you know, I'll pull back a little bit and they didn't come on for another like four hours. <laughs> so I was hammering and hammering and hammering. And I went up from, I think it was like 36th place up to like 15th place at that point or, or something rather. It was, it was quite a large margin. And I look back at it and it didn't really matter, but yet, you know, you found an opportunity for grit and yeah. then you took it and you, like you said at the very beginning, you didn't die. You were, yeah. you were okay. So do you find that having more of those moments, Cal, you know, with that many world championships and, 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 and how many triathlons have you run up until this point, having those many experiences where you ended up finding the means to be able to get there. And yeah, you were tired at the finish line. I'm sure that you wanted to fall over and take a nap, but you were okay. Having those, that many experiences, does that only make it more reasonable and more plausible that you could do it again? Or even if, if not even harder? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the true notion of a champion is repeatability. And so we've mm. always said that, you know, somebody that can obviously win one time is great, but repeating that is very difficult. And not only the preparation and the discomfort and the sacrifices, but there's the mental side of it. There's the pressure. There's so many things involved there. Um, and, and if you start developing this notion that, that now you are the number one ranked person going into a race, all those sort of things. And so, but then you as a person, and you know this, Dave, is that you've got to dig deep in, into your tickle trunk and your memories and you're confident to say, you know, I've been here before. I know that there's going to be some dark points uh, places along this journey, this race, and I can get through it. There's no doubt I'm going to feel like I want to stop, but I know that's not going to last forever. It's just a mm -hmm. way of getting over those hurdles. And the more years that you've you've done that type of uh, a race or adventure or sort of thing and mentally challenging yourself, the more you realize that you can get through that. And it's just like anything. I know when I'm on the start line, like it's going to be a, a two hours and 50 minutes of discomfort and it's just all in. And every moment that I'm racing, I'm asking myself, can I go harder 
is that something that could be positive or negative in the long term, that patience aspect of things? And that's, again, the learning process. And, and, and ultimately realize that at some point in time, you have to give it your all, knowing that you're getting close to the end. And, right. you know, that's, again, a learning process where you just have to dig in and just it, it, there's there's no taking that experience back. You have one opportunity. And I've already I've said this amongst my group is that racing is like your own artwork. Like it's mm -hmm. you, you're creating it. And the only one that really cares much about it is yourself. Yep. You know, so you, you have to step back and say, was that one particular moment, everything that I could potentially do, did I systematically work my way through it? And am I proud of what I achieved? You know, did I put forth all the effort that I possibly could? And that's pretty much my entire life philosophy is that, you know what, if you're going to do something, make sure that you do it right. So that if you step back and look at that artwork, you're proud of it. And that's really how I've governed my life much. Yeah. And that being said, Cal, I mean, you know, so, you know, I, I love the conversations when we talk about the excellent performances and the world championships and, 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 you know, coming off the bike and running this hard and this fast and things. But, you know, I think it'd be really advantageous to our guests to, to also hear the opposite side. You know, I, I know I've had, I have them myself where I've come off of a race and well, I thought, well, shit. You know, that didn't, I, I really didn't put it out there. I, I ended up pulling back. I ended up giving up. I ended up, you know, not, I'm, I'm not proud of, of my performance right then and there. Mm -hmm. And at, at times I've, I've taken a step back months thereafter and, and, you know, kind of questioned, you know, where I am in my sport and, and, you know, am I, am I done? Am I complete? You know, do I, should I do that again? Should I move on to different, different avenues within the sport? So have there been any moments, Cal, in your, in your career um, as an athlete where, um, you've stepped off of a course, either, you know, dropping out halfway or, or whatever it is, or, or finished. And you thought, you know, that wasn't the best of, of Cal today. Yeah. You know what? A lot of my racing has had good outcomes. Um, most of the mishaps that I would have is because I'm, of, I'm racing when I'm not healthy. Um, it's yeah. only happened a few times, but in that case, you have to ask yourself whether or not certainly it's safe to do this. What are, what are the consequences beyond this um, and the dangers beyond that? Um, and so I really haven't had it where I've showed up to a race, a particularly an important race where I was underprepared. I'm always prepared. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just really hard to perform uh, when you're not healthy. And so I think it was four or five years ago, I did a triathlon, off-road triathlon in, in Penticton, BC. And again, I had the worst chest cold. Uh, it was just awful. And I just had to release the expectations. You know, it's just like, okay, I don't know what my body will give me. I'm going to try as hard as I can, as we all know, but the outcome certainly wasn't the best. And I've never really had a situation where I've sort of given up. However, I think Dave, when we compare sort of the things that you do, where you go into these endless hours of carrying on like if you're having a bad day it just gets sometimes worse and and, mm -hmm. and there there comes a point where it's like you have to either just say i'm going to push through this or for sure your particular mini goals along the way are just getting worse like you're just falling behind mm -hmm. most of my sports are a little bit on the shorter side so we know that the bad day isn't going to last too long <laughs> is what i'm saying yeah. so you just you just do what you can and hopefully 
your day isn't so bad that more people are going to catch you. You just kind of mm -hmm. hang on kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a little different arena for me. It's just, I push through right. it and, and just see if I can get through it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Cal, when you're racing, you know, we were actually talking to uh, Katie who won the Tarawera 100 uh, a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago and uh, we're, she was being chased and she hung on to win by about 90 seconds in a hundred mile race. And uh, oh, wow. So the question is, do you do better if you're chasing or being chased in a race? I've had both of them. That's a good point. You know, both are motivational for me, mm -hmm. you know, autumn, bottom line, the, the, the unique ability that I have is that my best of the three swimming, biking, run, and my best is the run. Okay. So that's my weapon, if you want to call it that. So, um, but I could have a bad day too, Dave, you know, where I'm out there and I'm surviving or one of the world championships, which I was able to pull off a win in Xterra. It was extremely muddy, muddy day. And we pushed our bikes a lot. Say so I have a three hour mountain bike ride. I think we pushed our bikes through the clay mud for over an hour in total. Wow. And so when we got to the run, I would say 60% of the field were cramping, muscle cramps, just fatigue, just absolutely to the point where we really didn't train for that. So it was new and our bodies were just not used to that. So I was in a state where I was one mile in, I was winning the race and I was cramping, like I had to stop. And it, it was about five minutes where I was actually in this point where I wasn't moving at all. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna get caught. I'm gonna get caught. I gotta work my way through this. And so, you know, in that case, I've been in the lead and then eventually I kind of got going again and it just, you know, the fear of being caught was motivational for sure. Mm -hmm. But then I also like chasing from behind, you know, and that really inspires me as long as I know who they are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. But, you know, I think I step away and it comes back to originally what I was saying is that I'll go as hard as I possibly can despite the fact that I might have a two minute lead or a 10 minute lead or a 20 minute lead, it doesn't matter to me. It's more about my own personal artwork is just mm -hmm. when I cross the line, was it everything that I could do on that day? Did it represent the hours and, and weeks and months of training so that I can stand back and close the door on that day, close the door on that event maybe for the season and step back and say, good job. Thank you. I did what I wanted to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's, that's it, Cal. And you know, like either being chased or chasing at the end, end of an, of an event, or even at the beginning, it's just a tool, you know, whatever, whatever really ignites your spark. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I love being in control. So I like to be chased mm -hmm. because really it's entirely up to me if I give it up. If I give it up, then that guy has been running or woman has been running a faster pace than I have. And that's on me because, you know, I, I know I could always grind it a little bit harder. What do you think, Joe? What's your, do you like to chase or be chased? Well, I know that uh, being chased generates more intensity for me because of the fear of yeah. someone catching me. And so, you know, there's this, we had Don Reichelt on, um, he was running a hundred mile tunnel hill race and he passed a guy with about eight miles to go. And he said he never wanted to turn back and look because he mm -hmm. passed him to get into third place. Right. He was on a personal best. And then when he finally got to the finish line, he realized he like gapped the guy by like seven minutes, you know, like it wasn't even close. He just, but he ran in total fear and because it was hurting enough. So I, I think uh, I, I do actually um, like being in front because then it's my pace 
Um, I feel like then as hard as I can go is as hard as I can go when I'm chasing someone, I feel like I'm running their pace. And then I find that harder, even if it's the same effort, because uh, maybe sort of like the way you talk about Dave. So I think that that, even though it's more uncomfortable, it's like, actually, it feels more fun to chase someone Mm -hmm. versus be chased. That doesn't feel fun, but I get better performance out of that. I'm sure we're all sort of slightly different on that. And uh, the the bad information though, it's sort of like, doesn't that remind you of how many races you have been in and someone says, how far the finish line, they give you the wrong answer all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, like don't trust any spectators because what do they know? Guy in the red shirt, that's great. Yeah, you know, but the interesting component of that is how many of us have been in a race where you have two individuals, yourself and another, and you are going back and forth and neck and neck and no one's showing any weakness at all. Now that's the true nature of racing. That yeah. is where two people are pushing their bodies mentally and physically to the absolute limits with who knows what the outcome could be, you know, yeah. and, and it, that's, that's pure racing. That's incredibly uh, inspirational when you see that sort of thing. And I'm sure that we've all kind of gone through that once or twice. Yeah. Well, and it's it's just a, a true showing of, of of humanity as well too, and brotherhood and sisterhood as well too. When you can end up doing that with someone, and then you embrace them. Well, not during COVID, but you know later on, you'll embrace them at the finish line and thank, just thank them because you've end up running a personal best or or, or having you know, very best race that you could have, even if you're in second place. Um, it you know it's it it just propels you to a to a certain place. So so Cal, so tell me more about. You know, right now, you know, being a, an athlete over the age of 50 years old and, you know, I know you're, you're, you, you said, okay, number one, it's show up to the race healthy. You know, what are some of the things that you're using in your, are you doing yoga every day? Are you rolling? Are you doing a, you know, a lot more strength work uh, after 45 than, than what you did beforehand? Like, what are some of the tools in your chest that you could, you could share with our audience? Yeah, obviously over 50, I'm doing a little bit more strengthening, just body strengthening, nothing that's uh, groundbreaking. Um, bottom line is that you got to stay consistent with it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, over the last little while, like I think my last swim was November 16th. <clears throat> I actually hit the pool yesterday, which was kind of nice. For me, the swimming ends up being a recovery tool, non, non-weight bearing, beautiful. My body gets lengthened and just decompression. So I use that as an active recovery tool. Um, and in general, like I, I do do some, um, some rolling, some stretching, obviously a few of those sort of things. It's more about feeling how my body is. And, and right now I was thinking about this. I'm, I'm definitely trying to sit less. I'm, I'm trying to stand more. I'm trying to be more active and just move around more. Um, I just can't tolerate the sitting as, as much as, as some people can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just again, eating well, I don't do anything out of the uh, or too extreme of anything, to be honest, um, mm-hmm. like massage once in a while, um, obviously fixing a few things here and there. And then the other thing that I've got the privilege of doing is if I'm tired in midday, I'll take a nap, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm exhausted, my day's quite long. Um, and then I'll even do some work while I'm so-called laying down. It's just about decompressing, getting ready for the next day's training. And, um, so, and then my ratio of running is probably reduced over the time, over the years. And so I very strategic about the racing or the, the running that I'm going to do, knowing that it beats me up a little bit more. So, right. yeah. 
How many hours of uh, sleep do you get per night? On minimum seven. Yeah. So I'm kind of the guy that'll stay up a little bit late when it's quiet, get my work done. That's just from all my schooling. It's a bit of a habit, but I'll sleep in till about eight o'clock. I really don't schedule too many things before then. Um, so it's a good seven hours, but we all know it's more of the quality of that. You know, are we sleeping well? And during this pandemic, a lot of people are kind of stressed or have anxieties and, and, you know, it's very difficult for them to kind of maybe get that good quality sleep. And so I think that's where you guys know this is like, if you don't exercise on that day, it's a day off, you actually won't sleep that well, you know? And so I think it's just nice to kind of keep the momentum of your training going so that you actually have a healthy sleep and wake, wake up refreshed. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we, uh, when we use the system, right, there's back to this, um, I always think of the swing set analogy. You have a swing set when you have your little kids around and then they grow up and they don't go on it and you go over to five years later, it's all rusty. You know, like, yeah. well, the thing that was very productive, what happened? Well, it just sat there. And so it, it's a metaphor for what happens when we don't use our system. And I know there's an age at which, you know, maybe we'll do less, but we shouldn't put that in our heads until that happens there's yeah. no reason to come to that judgment and i do think that you know being responsive to how we feel and what we do but you know whether it's winning an exterior world championship or walking around the block you know being move having movement in our lives and then and also some weight bearing i think that it's important to keep the muscles you know whether you can yeah. do some assisted push-ups or anything else that you could sort of put into your your regiment then you eat well and you sleep well and you, you realize like oh wow i just feel better mm-hmm. you know, like wake up feeling privileged and it's just because of some of the choices we make yeah and you know to add that as i've gotten older dave i've actually embraced the aspect of walking more yeah. so for instance mm-hmm. today Two days ago, I ran 20 miles and that's quite lengthy for me. So I'm, I'm feeling a bit rough over the mm-hmm. next, you know, the 48 hours post. So today I'm actually going to go walk the Douglas fir trail. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. It's just casual, but it feels yeah. like you're in the middle of nowhere away mm-hmm. from the city. And I actually now, since I've been in my fifties, I embrace the walking, which is yeah. a really, in my thirties, I never thought, I thought walking was a sign of weakness. <laughs> yeah, walked, a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like you just go, no, you don't walk. What the hell? You know, yeah. and now I'm just like, wait a minute. Well, for me to add a little bit more time on feet and weight bearing, and that helps my body align and just, you know, feel like I'm flushing things out a little bit. I'll go for yeah. a walk. And then other times, you know, I'll show up to the track and I'll put my 400s or 800s in and, you know, maybe I'll feel a little bit rough for 12 hours post. And if that's the case, as I said, I got lots of tools in my tickle trunk at which I can probably let my body recover naturally, Mm -hmm. see how it's doing. And so, you know, I'm not mathematically doing everything like I used to. I'm sort of feeling out how my body's feeling and what are the so-called repercussions of some of those training bouts. So being a bit more smart about it, I guess. When I, I keep hearing that, Cal, too, that, you know, some of the world's best athletes, you know, you hear about their training and their training really isn't, you know, that that much different than a lot of the, the, you know, the moderate athletes out there. But yet they're 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 living in a city. We live in, in the city of Calgary where it's really difficult to walk around and get around, um, you know, with our with our feet or our bikes and things. But, um, you know, that they're walking to work. 
to and from you know work every day and it's a half an hour walk or a 45 minute walk and and it really adds up you know it's 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 more time on your feet it's nice and active recovery it's i think it really i think it really really does add yeah so cal so 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 i think we're at the point of the podcast as well too where we kind of wrap things up a little bit and where we you know come to the to the ultimate question you know like what's next for you? I mean, when it comes to, you know, we were in, into 2021 up here in Canada, we, you know, numbers are looking better. We're getting vaccinations. Uh, things are looking, looking better, but yet, you know, still there are, you know, it seems like races um, early in the season might not happen. Maybe later in the season, you know, August, September time, um, you know, world championships are coming up. What's, 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 what's in the cards for you in the next year or two? Yeah, obviously the restrictions uh, minimize some of our dreams and goals. However, you know, when I turned 50, one of my um, mandates is to do something different or new every year. Mm. So if I look back, I say, well, I raced that race a billion times and here's my performance. It was more performance driven as opposed to life experiential or adventure. So since I was 50, yeah, I've done pretty much something new, whether it was the swim on race in Sweden um, or running the Rockwall Trail or, or whatever it may be. So my first, I guess my first objective would be is to try to choose something, whether it's uh, an official race or an event or just pick something that I've never done before. And it could be a different location, whatever it may be. So that would be my first target is just to figure out for this coming season, um, races or not races, what do I want to experience that's new? And it might even be a different sport. It might be a pure, say, adventure race or something where it's got rowing and kayaking or paddle boarding or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from the selfish side, um, as I said to you, I'm pursuing to try to get the world most Xterra titles. And so that's performance driven. But but that'll be later on. I think the World Championships for Xterra this year is October 31st. Great. So we're I'm I'm very hopeful that the world mm. will become a little bit normal and we can travel. And so I think the first part of my so-called spring summer will be doing something new that helps support the performance side uh, come the fall. And so I've got quite a bit of time, actually, which is good. Yeah, Perfect. sounds like a wonderful year ahead for all of us. I think uh, we are very hopeful for a little bit uh, more time outside and with each other. And yeah, Cal, really appreciate it. We're going to have to uh, keep track of uh, your performance this year. And if you uh, if you get to that 10th, we're going to have you back on and hear how it went. You can tell us yes. all the details of the race. Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, I think that uh, your perspective uh, is great. And you know, uh, for any age, really, it's all the same, right? We, we're we responsible for our own activity and behavior and the outcomes that come from that are usually pretty good when we do the right thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Thanks very much again, and we'll uh, see you out on the race course. You got it, thank you, Joe, thank you, Dave. Thanks a lot, Cal. All right. Well, Dave, there must be something really good in the water around Calgary. Another amazing Canadian athlete breaking convention and being an amazing competitor, and all at the age of 53. And now he's seeking number 10 Xterra triathlon. Like, come on, amazing. And, and just what a great attitude and a plan for the future. Um, I think there's really something in here for all of us to take away. You can see why Cal would be such a great coach. And let's hope he gets to race in October and lock in that 10th. Go, Cal, go. 
All right, well, there you have it. That's a wrap for this week. As always, a big shout-out to our sponsor, Performance Tea. You can find them on www.performancetea.com, and they've given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20 at checkout. And we'd gratefully appreciate it if you could follow us on Instagram and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. And as always, a huge thanks to our listeners for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much.